This is Mary Christopher, and this is Storytime. Today we are finishing Chapter 8 in the book, The Sword and the Stone, which is about Merlin training King Arthur as a young boy to be a king. In this chapter, Merlin has changed Arthur, also known as the Wart, into a Merlin, which is a kind of hawk. And he is taking Arthur to the Muse, which is where the rest of the hunting hawks live. Arthur is going to spend the night with the hawks so he can learn more about hawks and who they are. So we are going to finish chapter 8. All the hawks were silent as Merlin carried their new companion into the mews, and silent for some time afterward when they had been left in the dark. The rain had given place to a full August moonlight, so clear that you could see a woolly bear caterpillar 15 yards away out of doors as it climbed up and up the knobbly sandstone of the great keep. And it took the wart only a few moments for his eyes to become accustomed to the diffused brightness inside the muse. The darkness became watered with light, with silver radiance, and then it was an eerie sight which dawned upon his vision. Each hawk or falcon stood in the silver upon one leg, the other tucked up inside the apron of its panel, and each was a motionless statue of a knight in armor. They stood gravely in their plumed helmets, spurred and armed. The canvas or sacking screens of their perches moved heavily in a breath of wind like banners in a chapel, and the rapt nobility of the air kept their night's vigil in nightly patience. In those days they used to hood everything they could, even the goose, the goose hawk and the merlin, which are no longer hooded according to modern practice. Wart drew his breath, at the sight of these stately figures standing so still that they might have been cut of stone. He was overwhelmed by their magnificence and felt no need of Merlin's warning that he was to be humble and behave himself. Presently, there was a gentle ringing of a bell. The great peregrine falcon had bestirred herself and now said in a high nasal voice, which came from her aristocratic nose, Gentlemen, you may converse. There was a dead silence. Only in the far corner of the room, which had been netted off for Cully, loose there, unhooded, deep in molt, they could hear a faint muttering from the caloric infantry colonel. 
damn, he is mumbling, damned administration, damned politicians, damned Bolsheviks. Is this a damned dagger before I, I see that I see before me? The handle toward my hand, damned spot. Now, Cully, hast thou but one brief hour to live, and then thou must be damned forever. Colonel, said the peregrine coldly, coldly, not before the young officers. I beg your pardon, ma'am, said the poor colonel at once. It is something that gets into my head, you know, some deep dimension. There was silence again, formal, terrible, and calm. Who is the new officer, inquired the first fierce and beautiful voice. Nobody answered. Speak for yourself, sir, commanded the peregrine, looking straight before her as if she were talking in her sleep. They could not see him through their hoods. Please, began the wart, I am a Merlin. And he stopped, scared in the stillness. Balin, who was one of the real Merlins standing beside him, leaned over and whispered quite kindly in his ear, Don't be afraid. Call her Madam. I am a Merlin, Madam, and it please you? A Merlin, that is good. And what branch of the Merlins do you stoop from? The wart did not know in the least what branch he stooped from, but he dared not be found out now in his life. Madam, he said, I am one of the Merlins of the Forest Sauvage. There was silence at this again the silver silence which he had begun to fear. There are the Yorkshire Merlins, said the honorary colonel in her slow voice at last, and the Welch Merlins and the McMerlins of the North. Then there are the Salisbury ones and several from the neighborhood of Exmoor and the O'Merlins of Conan. I do not think I have heard of any family in the forest sauvage. It would be a cadet branch, madam, said Balin, I dare say. Bless him, thought the wart. I shall catch him a special sparrow tomorrow and give it to him behind Hobbs' back. That will be the solution, Captain Balin. No doubt. The silence fell again. At last the peregrine rang her bell. She said, We will proceed with the catechism prior to swearing him in. The wart heard the sparhawk on his left giving several nervous coughs at this. But the peregrine paid no attention. Merlin of the forest sauvage, said the peregrine, 
What is a beast of the foot? A beast of the foot, replied the wart, blessing his stars that Sir Hector had chosen to give him a first-rate education, is a horse, or hound, or hawk. Why are these called beasts of the foot? Because these beasts depend upon the powers of their feet, so that by law, any damage to the feet of a hawk, hound, or horse is reckoned as damage to its life. A lamed horse is a murdered horse. Good, said the peregrine. What are your most important members? My wings, said the wart after a moment, guessing because he did not know. At this there was a simultaneous tintinabulation of all the bells as each graven image lowered its raised foot in distress. They stood on both feet now, disturbed. Your what? called the peregrine sharply. He said his damned wings, said Colonel Cully from his private enclosure, and damned be he who first cries, hold, enough. But even a thrush has wings, cried the kestrel, speaking for the first time in his sharp-beaked alarm. Think, whispered Balin under his breath. The wart thought feverishly. A thrush had wings, tail, eyes, legs, apparently everything. My talons. It will do, said the peregrine kindly after one of her dreadful pauses. The answer ought to be feet, just as it is to the other questions. But talons will do. All the hawks, and of course we, are using the term loosely. For some were hawks and some were falcons, raised their belled feet again and sat at ease. What is the first law of the foot? Think, said friendly little Balin, behind his false primary. The wart thought, and thought right. Never to let go, he said. Last question, said the peregrine. How would you, as a merlin, kill a pigeon bigger than yourself? Wart was lucky in this one, for he had heard Hob giving a description of how Balin did, did it one afternoon. And he answered warily, I should strangle her with my foot. Good, said the peregrine. Bravo, cried the others raising their feathers. Ninety percent, said the sparhawk, after a quick sum, that is, if you give him a half for the talons. The devil damned me black. Colonel, please. Balin whispered to the wart, Colonel Cully is not quite right in his wits. It's his liver. We believe, but the kestrel says 
It is the constant strain of living up to her ladyship's standard. He says that her ladyship spoke to him from her full social station once, cavalry to infantry, you know, and that he just closed his eyes and got the vertigo. He has never been the same since. Captain Ballon, said the peregrine, it is rude to whisper. We shall proceed to swear the new officer in. Now, Padre, if you please. Poor Sparhawk, who had been getting more and more nervous for some time, blushed deeply and began faltering out a complicated oath about Varvel's Jesses and Hoods. With this Varvel, the wart heard, I thee endow, love, honor, and obey till Jess us do part. But before the Padre had got to the end of it, he broke down altogether and sobbed out, Oh, please, your ladyship, I beg your pardon, but I I have forgotten to keep my tirings. Tirings are bones and things, explained Balin, and of course you have to swear on bones. Forgotten to keep any tirings, but it is your duty to keep tirings. I, I know. What have you done with them? The Sparhawk's voice broke at the enormity of his confession. I, I ate them, wept the unfortunate priest. Nobody said anything. The dereliction of duty was too terrible for words. All stood on two feet and turned their blind heads toward the culprit. Not a word of reproach was spoken. Only during an utter silence of five minutes, they could hear the incontinent priest sniveling and hiccuping to himself. Well, said the peregrine at last, the initiation will have to be put off till tomorrow. If you will excuse me, madam, said Balin, perhaps we could arrange the ordeal tonight. I believe the candidate is loose, for I did not hear him being tied up. At the mention of an ordeal, the wart trembled within himself and privately determined that Balin should not have one feather of Balin's sparrow next day. Thank you, Captain Balin. I was reflecting upon that subject myself. Balin shut up. Are you loose, candidate? Oh, madam, yes, I am, if you please, but I do not think I want an ordeal. The ordeal is customary. Let me see, continued the honorary colonel reflectively. What was the last ordeal we had? Can you remember Captain Balin? My ordeal, ma'am, said the friendly Merlin, 
was to hang by my dresses during the third watch. If he is if he's loose, he cannot do that. You could strike him yourself, ma'am, said the kestrel, judiciously, you know. Send him over to stand by Colonel Cully while we ring three times, said the other Merlin. Oh, no, cried the crazy colonel in an agony out of his remoter darkness. Oh, no, oh, no, your ladyship. I beg of you not to do that. I am such a damn villain and your ladyship that I do not answer for the consequences. Spare the poor boy, your ladyship, and lead us not into temptation. Colonel, control yourself. That ordeal will do very well. Oh, madam, I was warned not to stand by Colonel Cully, said the wart. Warned? By and by whom? The poor wart realized that now he must choose between confessing himself a human and learning no more of their secrets or going through this ordeal to earn his education. He did not want to be a coward. I will stand by the colonel, madam, he said, immediately noticing that his voice sounded insulting. The peregrine falcon paid no attention to the tone. It is well, she said, but first we must have the hem. Now, Padre, if you have not eaten your hems as well as your tirings, will you be so kind as to lead us in ancient but not modern number 23, the ordeal hymn. And you, Mr. Key, she added to the kestrel, you had better keep quiet, for you are always too high. The hawk stood still in the moonlight while the sparhawk counted one, two, three. Then all those curved or toothed beaks opened in their hoods to a brazen unison, and this is what they chanted. Life is blood shed and offered. The eagle's eye can face this dree. To beasts of chase the lie is proffered. Timor mortis conturbat me. The beast of foot sings hold fast only, for flesh is breckle and foot is slee. Strength to the strong and the lordly and lonely, Timor mortis extat me. Shame to the slothful and weak, and woe to the weak one. Death to the dreadful who turned to flee, blood to the tearing, the taloned, the beaked one. Timmer mortis are we. Very nice, said the peregrine. Captain Balon, I think you are a little off on the top sea. And now, candidate, you will go over and stand next to Colonel Cully's enclosure while we ring our bells thrice. On the third ring, you may move as quickly as you like. Very good, madam, said the wart, quite fearless with resentment. He flipped his wings and was sitting on the extreme end 
of the screen perch next to Cully's enclosure of string netting. Boy, cried the colonel in an unearthly voice, don't come near me, don't come near. Ah, tempt not the foul fiend to his damnation. I do not fear you, sir, said the wart. Do not vex yourself, for no harm will come to either of us. No harm, quoth a ha, go, before it is too late. I feel eternal longings in me. Never fear, sir. They have only to ring three times. At this the knights lowered their raised legs and gave them a solemn shake. The first sweet tinkling filled the room. Madam, madam, cried the colonel in torture. Have pity, have pity on a damned man of blood. Ring out the old, ring in the new. I can't hold off much longer. Be brave, sir, said the wart softly. Be brave, sir, white, but two nights since one met the duke about midnight in a lane behind St. Mark's church with the leg of a man upon his shoulder, and he howled fearfully. It is nothing, said the wart. Nothing, said he was a wolf. Only the difference was a wolf's skin was hairy on the outside. His on the inside. Grip up my flesh and try, oh, for quietus, with a bare bodkin. The bells rang for the second time. The wart's heart was thumping, and now the colonel was sidling toward him along the perch. Stamp, stamp, he went, striking the wood he trod on with a convulsive grip at every pace. His poor, mad, brooding eyes glared in the moonlight, shone against the persecuted darkness of his scowling brow. There was nothing cruel about him, no, no ignoble passion. He was terrified of the wart, not triumphing, and he must slay. If it were done when tis done, whispered the colonel, then twere well, it were done quickly. Who would have thought the young man had so much blood in him? Colonel, said the wart, but held himself there. Boy, cried the colonel, speak, stop me, mercy. There's a cat behind you, said the wart calmly, or a pine martin, look. The colonel turned, swift as a wasp's sting, and menaced into the gloom. There was nothing. He swung his wild eyes again upon the wart, guessing the trick. Then, in the cold voice of an adder, the bell invites me. Hear it not, Merlin, for it is a knell that summons thee to heaven or to hell. The third bells were indeed ringing as he spoke, and honor was allowed to move. The ordeal was over and the wart might fly. 
But as he moved, but as he flew, quicker than any movement or flight in the world, the terrible sickles had shot out from the colonel's plated legs, not flashed out, for they moved too, too quick for sight. And with a thump, with a clutch, with an apprehension, like being arrested by a big policeman, the great scimitars had fixed themselves on his retreating thumb. They fixed themselves and fixed irrecably. Gripe, gripe. The enormous thigh muscles taunted in two convulsions. Then the wart was two yards further down the screen and Colonel Cully was standing on one foot with a few meshes of string netting and the wart's false primary with its covert feathers vice-fisted in the other. Two or three minor feathers drifted softly in a moonbeam toward the floor. Well stood, said Balin, delighted. A very gentlemanly exhibition, said the peregrine, not minding that Captain Balin had spoken before her. Amen, said the sparhawk. Brave heart, said the kestrel. Might we give him the triumph song, asked Balin, relenting. Certainly, said the peregrine. And they all sang together, led by Colonel Cully at the top of his voice, all belling triumphantly in the terrible moonlight. The mountain birds are sweeter, but the valley birds are fatter, and so we deemed it meeter to carry off the latter. We met a cowering cooney and struck him through the vitals. The cooney was like honey and squealed for our requitals. Some struck the lark and feathers whose puffing clouds were shed off. Some plucked the partridge's nethers while others pulled his head off. But Wart, the king of Merlin, struck foot most far before us. His birds and beasts supply our feasts. His feats are our glorious chorus. Mark my words, cried the beautiful Balin. We shall have a regular king and that young candidate. Now, boys, chorus all together for the last time. But Wart, the king of Merlin's, struck foot most far before us. His birds and beasts supply our feasts. His feats are glorious chorus. Whew. And that is the end of chapter 8. We will take up chapter 9 this coming week and find out what happens to the wart, the future King Arthur, next. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.